0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. say good morning again as we uh, enter into the next phase of our worship. Hopefully it flows into what the Word of God is about and to... Uh, Help us see the Lord and how He speaks and how He speaks to us as a church and individuals. And it's all about Christ, is it not? We want to focus on Him always in everything. Never was a man more loved, adored as Jesus. Jesus is the one who is worshipped and adored here today and throughout all the body of Christ throughout uh, this world. But as He is loved and adored no man is hated and despised as Jesus is too. Some fell at His feet, kissed His feet, washed His feet with their tears. Some bow before Him, in total absolute awe, total worship, abandoned love is what they. Some acknowledge Him and uh, they see that He fulfills all their hopes. He fulfills every aspect of who they are and what they're about. He's the very source of blessedness forever, isn't he? The love and the joy and the peace, he is personified, and that's what we count on. But then others, we know, that spit on him, they mocked him, they screamed for his blood. They were enemies of Jesus, as there are enemies of Jesus today. And Jesus said that a disciple should not expect to be above his teacher. And if he was treated in such a way, he's saying there because of the opposition that he had, that we too, as his disciples, as his ambassadors, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, which is where we dealt with last week, we are ambassadors, we are representatives of the king, we are representatives of the kingdom. And as people loved and adored him, they also rejected and despised him. As the same thing happened to him, it will happen to us. He said in... Uh, the book of John in chapter 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the world word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And that's how it is as we live the Christian life, as we serve our risen Lord, that's the way it is in ministry. We can be the most loved of people as Christ is the most loved, and we can be the most hated of people because of that message of truth that we have. We can be honored, we can be dishonored. And that's the sense of chapter 6 of our Second Corinthians, as we move through that particular book, uh, there's an honor and dishonor of Christ, and there was an honor and dishonor of the ministry that Paul lived, that he did. And we see that we all are ambassadors of Christ. We have the message of reconciliation. We have the message of reconciliation to a lost world, that they can be reconciled to God. That's the responsibility that we have: is to tell uh, a lost, uh, dying world uh, the gospel, to tell them that they are alienated from God, and they are dead in their sins, their trespasses, and they need to be alive. And it's only in Christ Himself, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can that happen. So we are people to tell about the reconciliation from God. It has now um, appeared in the sense that peace has been made. Christ did his work on the cross, and now alienation is to be confronted, isn't it? We are the people, the ones who have trusted in him. We need to tell people that they have a possibility of reconciliation, It is now offered to them. We are Christ ambassadors. What happens is that when you say that message, it will divide people into two categories. It always has and always will. It's the way it did with Christ. That's the way it did with Paul. That's the way it did with the apostles. It's the way it's done throughout the 2,000 years of the church. They tell the good news, the gospel, and people love it and are drawn to it. Others reject it. The two aromas. There's a, an aroma of life to life. You remember in Second Corinthians where we have read that? And there's an aroma of from death to death. To some, that gospel message is perfume. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. And to others, it's a stench. And we are the ambassadors representing the kingdom of heaven To a lost world. And what a privilege it is. Paul knew that very well. It sunk down into his life. That's the way he lived his life. That's the way he did his ministry, realizing that there were people needing this good news. There were people that were in sin in Corinth and they were defecting away from the truth, from the gospel. They were being led by false teachers. And he had such a heart for these people, but he saw the sin that was happening there. And he had joy as he saw many who were trusting in Christ, who were believers. And he saw some that weren't or they were turning back. And so it it was manifested joy and sorrow at a high and low level. And what we see here are uh, paradoxes. That Paul experienced and if he experienced it he's a believer in Christ the same thing happens to all of us and we have a lot of things that happen in in our lives and the trials and the different situations that come up in our lives um, we know that it's all a part of our journey it's a part of our our growth in him and so that's what uh, Paul is putting forth as he builds an argument about Christianity is the greatest thing that we could ever be a part of. Let's all stand and uh, let's grab that word of God because that's where we get our encouragement. It's the power. It's the power of the the gospel that helps us work through everything in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you, Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you. And on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing all things father your word is truth father have your word speak to us this morning your word is amazing it's powerful it could speak to us in every fathomable way sometimes lord What can mean, there is one meaning by it, but at the same time it can mean so much to each one of us. Have your Holy Spirit empower us now to receive this word and that it would not go spilled out as we leave here today, but it would embrace us. Thank you for your spirit who gives us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, oh, the word, a living word of God, right? It speaks. He speaks. Because of Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because of that good news that sinners can be reconciled. Paul had a message that he couldn't help but tell. He did it. And he's encouraging others on the realization that they too have this kind of ministry. What's interesting in the very first uh, phrase there, the first verse of chapter 6, and working together with him. I think that's rather incredible. Working together with him. Paul is saying he was a co-worker. The next question is, who's the with him? And some of your translations, you may not even have with him. Probably you do. It's italicized, which means it's really not in the original Greek, but it's assumed to be with him, which could be, and what I purport to be, with God himself. It could be other Corinthians. It could be Christ himself, but he is God. It could be um, other teachers that Paul worked with, and no doubt all of those are are true But I think the one that rings out to me and should ring out to most is it's with God. Working together with him. Now, there's a monergistic view of salvation where God, God alone is the one who causes the new birth. But when we are saved, when we become Christians, we now are in a synergistic mode or are working with him now. And that's part of sanctification. It's part of our ministry. It's what we do in our daily life. We work with Him. He works in us and we work out our salvation. As Paul has put forth elsewhere, I think this privilege goes exceedingly beyond anything we can imagine. He has called us to work with Him. The power and the grace that He has. And He calls us to work with him. What a co-worker, huh? Uh, we see that, really, I think, if you back up just a few verses in chapter 5, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. He's making his appeal and he uses us. He didn't have to use us. He could have just shouted out. He could have had the mountain shout out. But rather, he works through his people. He makes appeals to the lost by using us. That overwhelms me. I'm astounded by that. God, why don't you just do it? You're the one who can make it happen and make it work. You know, I'm just a little me. I'm nobody. And yet he says, God's making an appeal through us. We beg on the behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. We're representing the kingdom. We are aliens here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is where? It's not really here. Our home is in the heavens. And with that thought, I have to think, I, you guys know exactly what I'm thinking there. I don't even have to say... Johnny's name. He's home. We're going there. That's our journey. But in the meantime, we're representing the kingdom because there's a message they need to hear. That's the utmost reason that we're here outside of glorifying God. And that's one of the best ways we can glorify God is to get this reconciliation. A cooperative effort with God. I, I, I can't understand that. Working together with the Almighty we're called, and He gifts us, and He empowers us. He pl- He places us in strategic places to give this news out. There's an eternal reward waiting for this. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse nine. This is the book before this, the letter before Second Corinthians. 1 Corinthians three nine it says, "For we are God's." fellow workers we work with him we work with each other what a team <laughs> you are god's field god's building god's working through us that's just, that's just the way he decided to work this thing out amazing that's the one that just sticks out so much, and I think that's what empowers the rest of this whole passage. We have ten verses today. You say, Dennis, how can we do ten verses? We have trouble getting two verses done in an hour, and we're not—we go- have to get out of here earlier today. So, how are we going to do this? Well, with the help of the Lord, we will. He's going to work with us. The reason is it flows together so much, and we can just. Take all of these words together, and we could spend them out for months if we like, but I like the way this flows. So that's what we're going to do this morning. With that set up, as we are co-workers of God, Paul tells the Corinthians, I urge you to don't don't receive the the grace of God in vain. What does he mean by that? The, the word there, urge, is para kaluman, para alongside Come alongside, I beg you, I beseech you, I entreat you, I exhort you along with God. I'm I'm exhorting you, God is a co-worker, he's working in you here, I beg you, I plead for you Corinthians to turn away from where you're heading, to turn back to the grace of God. You know, I urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain this grace message that has gone out. What does that mean, the grace of God in vain? Who's He writing to here? Is He writing to Christians? And usually He is. And we'll try to settle that. We still may not settle it totally. Ultimately, when we interpret Scripture, we say, well, what's the meaning of this? Who was He writing to and why was He writing to it? And then, eventually, we get around to, well, what does this mean to us here today? First of all, there are possibilities this could be. It could be apostates who turn their back on God. He says, don't turn away from the grace of God. And that could very well be. It could be the receivers or false receivers, which are a lot like apostates, but they kind of continue on. But ultimately, they show who they are. You remember the four soils and three of those soils were not the preparation for what true salvation is. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, uh, actually, that's the first letter, very last chapter, uh, one of the last chapters, that last section anyway. Um, I said 13. Uh, Matter of fact, that might be, is that in 2 Corinthians? (laughs) Anyway, he's talking, um, he's talking about that um if if you have some reason to doubt that God is your savior all right if there's some reason um he's talking about there might be something to look at maybe there's something there what why is that right um i think he's talking about there um There can be somebody who thinks they're believers. We are to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. And so that would be one type of person. Or in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Could be these people are true believers and now they're, you know, they're living by the the law or the flesh or different things that had come through, a circumcision, for that matter, for them. And he says, do you think you can sanctify yourself? It's only by the grace of God. Why are you turning back to that? You You can't do anything with that. You can't even offer the message of reconciliation with that kind of thought, can you? And so it could very well be that. In any kind of case... If people are not trusting in God's Spirit and they are living in the flesh, very fleshly way, saying that they cannot offer this message at this time. It would be in vain. So it can even be anyone who has believed in Christ. We know what it's like sometimes that we have not been walking with the Lord. We have not been filled with His Spirit. are not led by His Spirit. And so we're not following him at the moment. And we're not receiving the grace of God, are we? We are receiving it in vain. It's empty. That would be the idea there. So many of the commentators resort to all of the above of kind of people that he could be relating to. It could certainly be believers, though. Uh, people who are not saved, people are, who are saved, whatever it is, they can never take on effectively the ministry of reconciliation. At that point in time, if it be for believers, they were starting to follow these false teachers and a false gospel that was not really true grace. As a matter of fact, he's saying it's useless. In a crisis hour for proclaiming the gospel, you're now useless. He's, you know He's begging them there. It's a time for ministry right now. It's a time for the word of reconciliation to be done. When is that? All the time. At any time. So he says this and he quotes scripture. Quotes the Old Testament here. It's a time for reconciliation. It's a time for an appeal. So he's going to quote Old Testament. He says, at the acceptable time. In verse 2. I listened to you. And on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, that's a cry, first of all, to people that would need to be reconciled. They're lost. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, as we sang earlier. Now, behold salvation. That's that's what a Christian cries out to one who's lost. Today, I beg of you, I plead for you. The grace of God is being offered. So it can certainly be to the unbeliever in that sense, couldn't it? There would be unbelievers in Corinth along with believers. Just like there are unbelievers with believers in every church. And that's the cry. Today is the day. Today is the day of the fulfillment and Gentile salvation. As that was being quoted out of Isaiah 55. Um, Isaiah forty nine eight. So today is God's appointed day. Do not neglect the grace of God. This is what this is what is being brought forth. Even Christians can neglect the grace of God, either by their walking in the flesh, which is sin. We need to know this is an acceptable time now. This is God's time. We need to be bringing forth that message. It's still an acceptable time right now. It was in Christ's time whenever He died on the cross. Of course, the early church was filled with God's Spirit. They cried out the good news. They've done it ever since. And the days that we live in, terrible, evil times, and yet today is the day of salvation, isn't I? I don't know how close we are to the end, but more and more you see signs. More and more it seems like it could be closer. Paul looked for Christ to come back even when he lived. Down through church history, people look for his coming. We're certainly a lot closer than they were I think there are a lot of things that have happened that could uh, make that happen. We look forward to that as Christians. But the fact of the matter is, it's still the day of grace. Grace is being offered. It's time to preach that substitutionary work. It says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here it is. If you don't get anything out of this whole message today. Here it is. This is what we talked about last week. Christ. The cross. Takes his righteousness. Puts it on. Us. He takes our filthiness. Our rags. Our sin. Puts it on him. As he's on the cross. We have his righteousness. Our sin has been taken away. Forever forever. To live with Christ eternally. When we trust in Him, when we are granted faith and repentance, you look at that, and that's the message. It's called a great exchange. Two words great exchange. His sin, I mean, my sin is now His in that sense, but He never sinned. His righteousness is now mine. Even though I was wrong, right. The great exchange. That is what we have. So he says, don't receive this grace in vain. Look what he did. Look what he's still doing. We just shout it out. We give that out. And he's working alongside of us. He's with us right now as we worship him. He's, he's sitting with us. He's standing with us. He's there with us. He's a co-worker. He's for you. On the behalf of us. Substitutionary atonement. God's co-worker. Now, we have a lot of words to get through. You ready? in verse 3 after he says this is the acceptable time this is the day of salvation giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited our key word here and our key word for the rest of this passage is going to be endurance endurance Here's the Christian life. Here's the Christian ministry. It's called endurance. Things don't happen automatically. Boom, I'm a Christian. Everything is going to work out perfect. Everything's going to be nice now. I'm going to have all the money I need, the the biggest house, the biggest car. Everything's going to come my way. And nothing is ever going to go bad in my life. (laughs) That is not true, is it? The truth is, is we look at Paul, and a lot of these things we probably can't relate to. He talks about beatings and imprisonments, hunger and such. But at the same time, we're talking about afflictions in our lives. We're talking about being able to endure. It's a long marathon, isn't it? And an endure is exactly what that means. It, macro thumio. Macro is the opposite of micro. Macro is big. It's long. It means a long <coughs> fuse. Endurance. This is how one goes about handling adversity. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian ministry. And if it happened to Christ, it was going to happen to Paul. It was going to happen to the apostles. It happens to the church. It happens to us it means to stand firm to hold one's ground in the face of difficulties everybody here can relate to that and the difference is between a christian and a non-christian is how they respond to adversity you can see a christian you can just look and see how they're able to respond and they know truth it may not be the best thing that ever happened. But at the same time, they know that God's working good. We can embrace endurance. God gives it to us. We hang on because he gives us the strength to hang on. Sometimes in our minds, we'd say, okay, I've had enough. That's, that's it. I quit. <laughs> if you're really is, he says, yeah, right. You're not going to quit. So there we get back up again. He gets us up. We go on and another thing. Okay, I've had enough. Lord, I've had enough. That's it. And he says, I'm going to make you endure. You're going to continue. Going to continue in this walk in the world. So here is Paul, and he's using some negative type terms to prove that. That his ministry was real. You remember the context of this whole letter is that he's being charged by the false apostles that had come to Corinth that he was unreal, that he was not genuine, that his ministry was all a hoax. It was a lie. That was really what it's about. He's defending himself, but he's defending what the church is about. He's defending what Christ is about. He's defending the gospel. And so somebody would say, well, see, see those things that happen to Christians? I don't want to be a Christian because that's, that's the kind of things that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll count the cost. <laughs> thing is, some of the same difficulties happen to unbelievers too. The only thing is they don't know how to go through those difficulties. And it gets worse and worse. How do they respond? Well, without the strength of God, they, they can't ultimately respond the way that God gives us strength to do that. Paul has a couple concerns here. He has a negative concern, he has a positive concern. He does not want to ruin his testimony. I think at first Corinthians chapter nine verse twenty seven. keep turning back to First Corinthians and second Corinthians. Sometimes I get confused between the two. So I hope I got the right first Corinthians nine twenty seven. I should have. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's not talking about losing salvation there, he's talking about being disqualified from the race. His testimony being ruined as he runs this race if one stepped out of their lane bumped somebody else got into another lane they would be disqualified from the race <clears throat> well he was a, he's a runner but he's disqualified he can't win this race he's ruined a, a testimony spiritually paul is saying he did not want that to happen he doesn't want to cause an offense that's quite a warning as he's talked about the this is the day of salvation he says if you deny the, the grace of God, uh, if you're taking this in vain, if, if it's empty, he says what can happen is that you're going to be an offense. Your ministry can be discredited. Negative concern there. It's uh, that the, It would be blameworthy. Uh, the Greek means it's, it's uh, the God of mockery, the God of ridicule. It uh, literally means to be made a laughing stock, be a Christian and then people can see see he really he was faking you out all the time and people laugh there is the sense that we realize what god is doing in us though what god has wrought in us and that we have this endurance he wroughts it in us john chrysostom that very early an early church preacher said, it's the root of all the goods. It's the root of all the goods. Things that are that are good. He said, the mother of piety, the fruit that never withers, a fortress that is never taken, a harbor that knows no storms. It's the queen of virtues. It's the virtue of virtues to endure. And what he's going to do now, he's going to take nine statements in. This verse 4 and 5, there are triplets here. Nine words, triplets, three words in each triplet. It's kind of like a hymn that he's writing here and they're like machine gun fire. Pow, 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 pow. He starts with external sufferings here. Verse 4 and 5 are his external sufferings. That's troubles, that's hardships, it's distresses. Paul had troubles. Paul had hardships. Paul had distresses. So do we. We can identify with troubles, hardships, and distresses, can't we? We can identify with this. You know what? These are not the kind of things that the Corinthians or a lot of churches today would rather hear. And for that matter, sometimes I really wouldn't either. It's not things you naturally appreciate and Paul is starting with these as his defense of his ministry, his Christian life. He starts with these troubles and hardships and distresses. Remember, the the word before this is endurance. And remember... It's not our own endurance. (laughs) It's only the endurance of God that can get us through this. These are telltale signs of a successful ministry. This is what Paul is using to prove his ministry was on. If society judged this by today's standards or even back then, I think it would be a hard sell for Paul. It's a hard sell for Christians, isn't it? Endurance is the key to all these truths. So the first one, this, we're going to use, like I said, three triplets. One triplet is oppression. We find this in verse four. He says, "We're commending ourselves as servants of God, as ministers of God, servants to serve people. Christians are servants." When you're born again, you are a servant. got to serve somebody. Either serve the devil, serve God. Servants of God in much endurance. There's our key word that we use there. And here we go with the oppression, which is the rest of verse four afflictions, hardships, distresses. Afflict, uh, afflictions is the word there that I have in my translation. Afflictions is the word philipsis, and we have seen this word for those of you who have been in Second Corinthians this whole time. We've used this repeatedly. Thalipsis. It's a key word that Paul is, is using because he proves it that his ministry is from God and he has a philipsis. Thalipsis in in the Greek it, it means this affliction, but it means pressure. It's an extreme amount of pressure, exerted pressure upon him. Have you ever had exerted pressure on you? Extreme amount? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Has it ever happened? <coughs> pressure. It's crushing experiences. Paul has used that. Lack of time, we'll move on to the next one. Remember how many words we have to cover? <laughs> hardships is the next one. And it means difficulties in the world. General sense, just, just the idea, it's a, it's a word for difficulties. All of his persecutions, all the struggles of life, it's anything that comes up. And remember, the key word is what? Endurance. To endure the hardships. It's proving that his ministry is true. Sometimes it's difficulties where it seems like there's no relief. Difficulties that seem to have no exit. Next word is distresses. That word there means to be confined in a narrow space. Paul has used that before. Sound familiar? means to be confined in a narrow place when someone can't even turn around. They're now squeezed up and they can't get out of it. Sometimes God puts us in places like that. doesn't seem too comfortable. Matter of fact, it seems like there's no way to get comfortable. And so Paul says this first triplet here, afflictions, hardships, distresses. Have you ever noticed that you've gotten through those things before? Has God ever let you down when troubles have come? Distresses, hardships. No, he's never let me down. That's right. You can always look back and see what he's done. Look at somebody else. Or you can look at scripture. It's even better. (laughs) But even our experiences tell us he's never let us down. As Christians. Next one is persecution. That's our second triplet. That's in verse 5. Beatings, imprisonments, tumults. Exploits. I think society would judge all of these to be blameworthy rather than praiseworthy. Said Paul, "What have you got to brag about? Don't use those. Nobody will ever come to Christ." Beatings. To Paul, that meant mutilating whippings. Cut into his flesh. It meant imprisonments also. We know about Paul. We know where he's going to stay a few nights for free. As he's being beaten, it's going to be in the local jail. It happened many times, didn't it? But he didn't give up. And the next one's tumults that means disturbances, it means riots it means violence Paul saw much violence you know, movies, they can rate movies because of violence they can be rated PG-13 or even into R because of the violence that happens Paul experienced violence he, it at, actually happened to his person sometimes he expe- uh, uh, actually exited these kind of tumults he faced mobs in Jerusalem in Damascus in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and in Ephesus and he wrote this from Ephesus there was more to come tumults he experienced can you imagine that we have tumults riots here in the United States, especially in the last couple of years, haven't we? Continues on. I don't want to be a part of that. Say, hey, listen, I can do what Paul did. But if it if it happens because of a testimony, and so will if true Christianity lose it, it can cause that. We don't really see that today, or somebody can use that in a wrong way. But it doesn't seem like earthly success, does it? This doesn't seem like prosperity to me. It's a measure and badge of commending his faithfulness to Christ. He hung on with the power of Christ. He hung on. He endured suffering. He never flinched. Never changed his message. Never backed down from the gospel. Never, ever. He never grew weary. We go to the third triplet. Some of us can identify with these. Some of us can't. Some of these we can and some we can't. Third triplet. In verse 5, labors in sleeplessness and in hunger. You want to know what the Christian life is like? Paul, what are you saying? Paul's saying here's what it is. Here's what ministry is. The good is yet to come, though. You can say, man, Dennis, that's not negative. This is positive. He's talking about enduring. How else can we go through? This is life. How do we go through it? Labors. That means to work to the point of exhaustion. Has anybody ever done that? Or you are exhausted? Probably there's been some physical things that you have done where you have been just absolutely exhausted, fatigued, right? Labored to the point of anguish. But you did it by choice because you know at the end what this is going to bring. That's why you kept at it. Sleeplessness. Well, he didn't have to work day and night if he didn't want to. But he had travels. He had places to go. He had his own business, tent making, that he had to do. Then he would preach the gospel at night. Maybe during the days, and then he had other he had things to do. And of course, because of him being pummeled and whipped and scourged. Can you imagine the insomnia that he might have had from those aching muscles, sleepless, and then hunger? He put himself in circumstances sometimes. He put himself in places that he knew the conditions were not favorable. Of hey, this is going to be difficulty to getting food for a little bit here. Different places you travel, and ooh, I ran out of sandwiches. I still have thirty miles to travel. I'm going to miss a meal here. I mean, he went through real hunger. Things weren't readily available as we have today. You know, we are a pampered society. We have it so easy. I doubt if anyone here really has gone through real hunger. Might miss a day or two even. But real hunger, maybe, possibly. Then you identify with Paul. Might have been days... (coughs) Okay, folks, now we get to the graces. This is the positive side. Hung out too long on the negative side, didn't we? This is proof. This is outward manifestation of endurance. This is Christ living in you. This is the Holy Spirit filling your life. This is the Word of God. Being lived in your life. From here on out. Look at verse six and seven. We're going to call these the graces. They manifest in our lives the endurance that we really have. Verse six, in purity. Purity. Great word to start with. It's what his life was. He says, You can look back and you can't see. All the stains. now every one of us have sin we battle with. And there can be some stains there. There wasn't something out up front that disqualified Paul. It's every stain of flesh and spirit. It's talking about when you one is pure, it's definitely involving chest. Freedom from all fleshly stains, though, is what it's about. And it's very, very important because all the other ones we flow out of this, this man, Paul, lived a pure life. No reproach, no blame, no shame on Paul's life. He endured in purity all the way to the end. Remember in 2 Timothy, last chapter, <coughs> wrote the letter to Timothy. He says, I'm ready. It's time to go. going to depart from here. And he knows he was ready because he had lived this... Kind of life. Next word is knowledge. I think it's a comprehensive knowledge of faith. Uh, no doubt Paul had studied it. He took the Old Testament that he had learned from, being the Jew that he was and the Pharisee that he was. Of course, when he came to Christ, he was filled with the spirit, the gospel, and the Old Testament came alive to him. And he, his knowledge now came to be true knowledge of God. Not knowing about God, but knowing Him. To know. Christ and his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, to know Christ. That is what we live for. That is who we are about, what we're about. This is eternal life, that they may know thee. That's what Christ prayed, John 17, for us, that we would know him. To know God. To have an intimate relationship. He took the knowledge and then expanded it out to be a part of his life. He didn't minister in ignorance, did he? He knew it and he lived it. That's part of his life. The next word is patience. That's the word macrothumio, and here it's tolerating people. <laughs> tolerating people. What kind of people did Paul run into? What kind of people do we run into? Of course we we 've heard so many times, you know, hey, if it wasn 't for people, I could get along real well in this world <laughs> uh, if we 'd really think about that, whoa <laughs> no that 's not true at all i 'm telling you, man, I, I am so glad there there 's god 's people that surrounds me, my family, my, my family and the church, to know there are people for me that are praying for me. I'm telling you, but it's amazing. You guys have to really be patient with me sometimes. Patience. Patience. But I must be patient. I must be patient with you. <laughs> I must be patient with everybody. What kind of people did he associate with? Well, he dealt with the ignorant people, the sinful people, the hard people, the weak people, the stupid people, the unruly people, the hostile people, the deadly people. The critical people, the narrow-minded people, the corrupting people, the mutinous people, the elite people. He had to deal with the poor, had to deal with the educated, the uneducated, the moral and the immoral people he dealt with. The faint-hearted, the bull-headed. You know what? And all of these kind of people he was patient and that's the idea there where it says in purity and knowledge in patience he was certainly patient with people otherwise he wouldn't have been able to bring that gospel to them so where they came with hostility brought the love of Christ with the truth of Christ never back down in from any of those. Kindness is the next word and it's goodness in action. No matter what they did to Him, He did good to them. He brought the best thing that they could have and whatever He could do for them, He did. Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, being filled by the Holy Spirit, Being moved along by the Holy Spirit. That's the whole idea of being filled with the Spirit. Filled as the sails are filled with the wind. And the sailboat just goes along. Because it's filled with the wind and the sails. We're filled with God's Spirit. We move about in this life. We walk in the Spirit. We are comforted by God's Spirit. That's how we're comforted. The power of the Spirit. The freedom of the Spirit. We don't grieve the Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. Paul said he didn't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit, right? Don't frustrate the Spirit of God. What he did was he manifested the very fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Do you see a lot of these same words in here? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is all about being filled with God's Spirit. We could just spend time on that passage there, couldn't we? The fruit of the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. Christians are commanded to walk in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He's there. But then you're told to walk in the Spirit. He did. Next one is genuine love genuine love a self sacrificial love he's willing to give himself up the extreme picture of love is Christ on the cross he loved us so much he died for us he took on our sin he gave us his righteousness the product The ministry of the Spirit is love. The word of truth is the next one. Verse 7. How can you do any of these things without the word of truth? It's the word of truth here. I say it's the gospel. It's the word of God. Matter of fact, the whole Bible is the gospel. It means good news. From Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation. To the very end of the book. Even to the end of the concordance for that matter. We have good news. Good news. Isn't it great? The word of truth. Chapter 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we become the righteousness of God in him. If you understand that, you understand the gospel. You understand that one verse, you understand the gospel. The next one is power of God. Speaking about The gospel. Paul preached the gospel. Romans 1.16. We're talking about gospel. can't help but read this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, the dunamis, or the, <laughs> power, the dynamite of God. For what? For salvation to everyone who believes. That's powerful because it converts people from dead in Christ to alive in Christ. They're dead in this world and their trespasses and sins. The power of the gospel. First Corinthians 118. Here we go again, the previous letter. 118. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's foolishness or it's the power of God. Remember, there's only two ways that people can take that cross. That can take the gospel. One or two. There is nothing in between. And the next one is weapons of righteousness. 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 The weapons of warfare. Pulling down human reason. We have weapons. We have the word of God. We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us. And with the gospel, which is the power, we can destroy the towers of human speculation, of human reasonings, of human philosophy. Human rationalization. The pride that goes along with intellectualism. Everything that's out in the world, the gospel can destroy. That's what we have. Thank you, Christ. When you gave me righteousness, you gave me these things. And that's why we can go on and take on the world and its awful, sinful thinking that they're trying to purport In our governing laws. We can take. The reconciling truth. Which means much more. Than what men in their. Kingly governing rules can do. And this is what it does. It's that much power. Eight through ten. We're going to read through this. And we're going to close. Here's a machine gun shot. You ready? By glory. And dishonor. Glory, honor, dishonor. Paul was praised. He was despised. He was treated as as a man of honor. As he was received in churches, he was treated sometimes as a criminal. An arch enemy. That's the way it was with Christ. That's the way it can be with Christians by evil report, good report. There's good news about certain people. That same person, somebody can take it and start purporting evil things that are not truthful. That's what happened to Paul right there. Regarded as deceivers and yet true. Paul was told to be, or as the false teacher said, to be deceiving people. But we know he spoke nothing but the cross, the truth. As unknown, yet well-known. He was known whenever he was a Pharisee up in rank. And he prided himself in that title that he had and all that he did. And then he's bit down to the dust. And Christ called him to the kingdom of light. He's not known by those Jews anymore that way. But he is known to all Christians today, isn't he? He's known to us. He is well known, isn't he? But to unbelievers, they don't know him. As dying, yet behold, we live. He's already said he was at the point of death. There were times when he didn't think he could even, he was going to go through something. And yet he lived. As punished Yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. He had pain and sorrow sometimes. The things that he went through for the people, they would be turning back or not receiving the grace of God. They would receive it in vain. That was sorrow, but he had joy because he knew the ones who were true. As he gave this truth out, poor yet rich. Second Corinthians. 8, verse 9, just a few, a couple of chapters away. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. He was rich, He became poor. He makes us rich. Ephesians 1. Colossians 1.12, 1 Peter 1, 1.4, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything we need. Salvation, Romans 8.32 says this, and we're going to leave off on this. 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Is that a promise? God doesn't lie. All of his promises come true. All things. What are, what are important possessions? Is it our bank account? Is it our portfolio securities? Is it a land that we own? Are these important things? No. They're really not. They're not important things. The important thing. It's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you identify with some of those elements that we spoke about today? That's part of who Christ is. The fruit of the Spirit and all those graces and the paradox that goes along with it. I just can't help but say this is a beautiful, moving, hymn-like passage that we have just looked at. I think we are to be grateful to the author, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. Look what He's given us. Everything. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. Help us this day to glorify you in all that we do. And we pray for the family. We thank you so much for the Frida's family that surrounded her this week. And then the extended family. All the prayers and all the thoughts go with that family. And we thank you so much for having the blessing of knowing Johnny, knowing Frida and then knowing the very family that you have so much brought into the family of God. And as we get to greet and meet them, Lord, we realize the family of God is so important to us. It extends out from our own friends and family. It comes down to this is an eternal family the ones who trust in Christ. And Lord, we are so thankful because so many of those we know goes back a few years now, but we, we got to get in on praying for them and to hear the great news of salvation. Lord, what a blessing it is in that sense to be with them because they are important to this church. They're important in the kingdom of God. Help us to live for your glory. In your son's name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.